0: Before he returns, the Bible outlines in the book of Revelation some end time events that we need to be aware of, and we're going to continue to study our keys of Revelation this evening by looking at a message entitled The Last Faithful Daughter. The Last Faithful Daughter. Study guide 19, so let's take those out at this point. You'll need your pencil or pen with you, you'll need your Bibles open. And we need to have our hearts prepared to hear from God's Word. So before we begin our study, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. And thank you that we can be here together. You've given us safe traveling mercies to be here tonight. And now as we turn our attention once again to a study of your Word, we ask that the author himself would be our instructor tonight. Lord, let your words come out of my mouth and let your word be seen as true above all things. And help us not only be hearers of the word, but help us be doers of the word as well. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Revelation, we've seen many parallels, many truths that Satan counterfeits. And one of the most fascinating parallels that runs right through the middle of the book of Revelation is this tale of two women. You see, two women... In the book of Revelation, one is found in Revelation chapter 17, and one is found in Revelation chapter 12. And tonight, we're going to look at these two women, and specifically the one in Revelation chapter 12, as we try to study out and identify the last faithful daughter. Now, we're going to start right off with some fill-in-the-blanks. In Bible prophecy, God refers to his people, or his church, as a what? As a bride or a woman, more specifically, okay? We'll just leave with that, okay? At least that's the language we're going to see in the the text. We want to be faithful to the text. In Bible prophecy, God refers to his church or his people as a woman. Let me give you some texts to back that up. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, in verse 2. The Lord himself sets up this metaphor, this analogy of his people being referred to as a woman. We find in chapter 6 and verse 2 where the Lord himself says, "I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate what? Woman. Woman. There's where we come up with that concept. And by the way, if you were just to go back one book, Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 6 makes it amply clear that by Zion, he's talking about his people, when it says in Isaiah chapter 51 in verse 6. That is an incorrect text. That's a typo. (laughs) Anyway, we'll move on from there, okay? Go to the book of Jeremiah once again, though. Whenever that woman is his people, of course the woman symbolizes, is unfaithful to God, God refers to them not just as a woman, but as a harlot. If you were to do a Bible study and you'd type in that word harlot, you would get lots and lots of references. And each time they're going to refer to God's unfaithful people. When it's referring to his people in general, it's a time when they are being unfaithful. In fact. Look at Jeremiah chapter three and verse six. The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, "Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot." Could we turn this down just a little bit? It seems very echoey. Thank you. Now, the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea. Turn to the right not a book we often go to, but Hosea was a prophet of God who had a very unique ministry. We're going to go to Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You see the people of God, God's chosen people, his church on the earth, had so consistently played the harlot of unfaithfulness to God and his laws that he raised up a prophet named Hosea, to actually act out what it was like to be God and have his people be unfaithful. So the ministry of Hosea, believe it or not, included going and marrying a harlot. And of course, she was unfaithful to him. And basically, God was saying, that's what it feels like to be me. Look at Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of Beri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, ahaz and hezekiah kings of judah and in the days of jeroboam the son of joash king of israel verse 2 when the lord began to speak by hosea the lord said to hosea go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry why for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the lord notice what he's saying there i want you to to go live this out in your life because this is my experience with my people. God's church is called a woman, but in an unfaithful state is called a harlot. Okay. Now we see this building up in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 17, lo and behold, we find a woman who is, according to Scripture, a harlot. Clearly this represents God's unfaithful church Revelation chapter 17, and we'll just begin with verse 1. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 1. That's a lovely sound of those pages flipping back and forth. It's great. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great what? Harlot, who sits on many waters. Now, we've already studied from a previous lesson that later on in chapter 17 The Lord would tell us that waters or seas represents peoples, right? A sea of humanity. And apparently this unfaithful woman, this harlot, this unfaithful church of God is ruling over these people. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. So notice there's an unholy alliance between the state and the church with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made what? Drunk with the wine of her fornication. So you get the picture. Here's an unfaithful church being described and a harlot, a Bible prophecy, sitting on many waters. She's had fornication with the kings of the earth and all the people, the inhabitants, have become drunk from her wine. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of being around someone who's been drunk. But drunkenness is not always the most clear-minded state to be in. In fact, that's pretty much the earmark of drunkenness, is you're not thinking clearly, you don't see things for what they are, you're stumbling around unstable. And apparently this adulterous church, in its leadership of these people, has caused the people to be drunk with the wine of her fornications. In fact, it continues on. Verse three: "So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, have we ever seen a beast that speaks blasphemy with seven heads and ten horns? Absolutely. This is the little horn power once again. This is the Antichrist, the unfaithful church of Bible prophecy. The woman, and of course, let's just review if you would. They were the sequence of four beasts, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and what was the fourth one? Rome. But this is still the beast, but it's being ruled by this woman, this little horn that rides on top of it. Do you see what I'm saying? The symbolism is parallel. The woman, verse 4, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And remember, this is what the people were drunk on, making the people drink these abominations. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. By the way, does this beast, does this uh, woman who rides on the beast, I should say, have children? Yes. And like mother, like daughter, they are harlots. They are unfaithful to God's word. They are drinking of the wine. They are drunk with the wine of Babylon. And thus you see here The unfaithful woman of Revelation chapter 17, which is just another way of describing that antichrist power, that little horn who rides on this beast with seven heads and ten horns here in the book of Revelation. It's called a woman who's a harlot. Now, the good news about the book of Revelation is it doesn't just have that one, there's that other woman. And we're going to spend primarily the rest of our time tonight talking about, in fact exhaustively, the other woman. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. And notice the character difference between these two women. Revelation chapter 12. We're going to fill in the blank here as we find Revelation chapter 12. If you notice, the first one was the persecuting church. By the way, we stopped one verse too shy, and we'll see it right there in our study guide. Back up in Revelation chapter 17, after it gets the title, shown the title mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Notice what they're drunk with. I saw the woman drunk with what? The blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. This first woman, this adulterous woman, this unfaithful harlot woman, a Bible prophecy, of course, woman again representing the church, is actually persecuting whom? God's true faithful people which is exactly what we saw the little horn doing, persecuting God's people for a time, times, and half a time. But now we look at the persecuted church in Revelation chapter 12. The woman of Revelation 12, we're filling in the blank now, represents God's people who are persecuted for being faithful. So one woman is adulterous, the other one is pure, one woman is persecuting and the other one is the persecuted so again we're at the persecuted church that first fill in the blank the woman of revelation 12 represents god's people who are persecuted for being faithful and let's pick it up right there in scripture with verse 1 of revelation 12 now a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with what and the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Now, if you recall, how was the adulteress, the unfaithful woman, dressed in Bible prophecy? She had purple and scarlet. She had all these jewels and all the gold and silver and all the different things. And what was in her hand? A big golden cup full of wine. You know, it's, it's like, it's pretty much a caricature of what you would expect a harlot to look like, Right? Now, in contrast, Revelation chapter 12 has a pure woman who doesn't have all of those things. She's apparently clothed with just simplicity and beauty. And notice the sun, moon, and stars are natural lights, these kind of things. It's very simple, very pure, in contrast with the harlot of Revelation 17. Okay? So we see again in verse chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Now, we're going to go a little bit deeper tonight, okay? We're going to take off our floaties, and we're going to go into the deep end just a little bit. Are we okay? Come on in. The water's just fine. Now, if a woman represents God's people on the earth, or his church, and these are his faithful people, then what in the world do these sun, moon, and garland, a garland, of course, is like a crown, right, of 12 stars. Where does that come from? Well, handily enough, we don't have to guess. We can go back and find it right there in the Scripture. Go to the book of Genesis on the other end of your Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 37, and you will see this exact same imagery used. Now, of course, God's people in the Old Testament weren't necessarily called his church. They were the children of Israel, right? And just a little Bible trivia, the man who was named Israel, that wasn't his name given him at birth. What was his original name? Does anyone remember? Jacob, right? So you had the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the Old Testament church, the Israelites, were those children of Israel, or the children of Jacob. Okay? Now, I'm going to try to demonstrate from the Bible that the woman of Revelation chapter 12, I'll just tell you the end right now, and you'll see it, see it develop. The woman of Revelation chapter 12 is the Bible's prophetic picture of God's faithful people throughout the Bible's history from the very earliest time when he had a people, when he called out Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and set up the sons of Israel, you know, from the very earliest days all the way to the very end of time, that this one woman represents that. And let me demonstrate that from the Bible. And we'll start with this sun, moon, and 12 stars. Revel- uh, Genesis chapter 37. We'll pick up the story. This is, of course, after Abraham and Isaac have uh, have lived their lives, and Jacob is now living with his children. And we'll pick it up in verse 1, Genesis 37, verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with his son, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph Brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, Israel, that's Jacob, right? Notice that Jacob and Israel are being used interchangeably there. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. You've probably heard the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors, right? Now, But it says in verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. Now, obviously, Joseph and his brothers are the children of Israel, right? They are the sons who would become the fathers themselves of all the people of Israel that would come thereafter. This is the very beginnings of God's church on the earth this family that would later become the great nation of Israel. And here's Joseph in verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please, hear this dream which I have dreamed. Now, you get the picture. They already had a grudge against him because his father showed him favoritism, right? Now he comes along and says, I've had a dream. And you're going to see that dream shows that I'm really special. Not maybe the smartest move, right? But apparently they hated him even more. But he says, let me tell you about this dream. And then he explains the dream to them. Look at verse 7. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. By the way, how many children are there of children of Israel? There are 12, Right? So here he's like, I'm one of you, but I stood up in the midst of you, and you guys bowed down and worshiped me. Wasn't that a crazy dream? They're like, maybe you shouldn't tell us your dreams, right? They didn't like it very much. Verse 8, his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And you imagine, thus Joseph learned to be quiet. But watch what happens. Verse 9, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers, saying, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And now watch the language. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Now, obviously, he's the twelfth star, but he's like the sheaf. He's like, I was in the middle, and they were all bowing down to me. But now, notice this time, it's not just the sheaves bowing down to the one, or the stars bowing down to the one. It also includes his, who are the sun and the moon, then? Well, helpfully, the Bible gives us the interpretation if we just keep reading. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you. So when we talk about the sun, the moon, and these 12 stars, we're talking about the family of Israel, right? Jacob, his mother, and their sons. And this is where the prophecy of Revelation chapter 12 begins. He sees a woman, that is God's people on the earth, and she's standing on the sun, uh, lit with the sun, standing on the moon with the garland, 12 stars. The sun, the moon, and the 12 stars. That's the starting point of God's church in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? See, told you, the water's fine. No problem. Now, if we go back to Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 2 now. And again, this is one chapter covering thousands of years of history, but we can see the starting point. In verse 1, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. And now look at verse 2. Then being with what? Child. So this woman is in what condition? Pregnant. Now, if you're with child, have you had the baby yet? No, but you're looking forward to a soon coming baby, yes? No. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So not only is she with child, but this is now drawing us closer and closer to the time when the child will be born. By the way, did the children of Israel have a promise that a child would be born to them? Absolutely. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Oftentimes you only hear this passage at a certain time of year (laughs) when there's snow on the ground, which here in Muskegon could be any time of year, honestly, but. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a what? Son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is a prophecy of whom? Jesus Christ. Going to be born, in prophetic language, to the children of Israel. He was the hope of all of Israel. The great hope that they had was this soon-coming Savior. And here in Revelation chapter 12, we're going to be going home basis, Revelation chapter 12, we see this picture of a woman, faithful and pure, clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, on her head a garland of 12 stars, and then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. So let me ask you a question. If this is a picture of God's faithful people, his church on the earth, Is this the church of the New Testament or the church of the Old Testament? I'll take that mumbling to mean Old Testament, (laughs) right? Because it starts way back there at the very beginning, and this is still before, who's the child? Jesus, right? And the child has not been born yet. This is leading up to, the church leading up to, the time of Jesus. Now, with that context, we move to verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven... Behold, a great fiery red, what? Dragon, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, we've got a little bit of a mixed metaphor here, but consistently, the Bible uses the dragon in prophetic language to be a representation of whom? Satan. Look, look it's still right there in Revelation chapter 12. Skip over to verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called whom? the devil, and Satan. But Satan always works through a power on the earth, yes? And this time it tells us who that power is. It's the dragon, but it's with seven heads and ten horns. This is Rome. Okay? Well, watch this. And what does the dragon want to do to this woman, or more specifically to this woman's child? Verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the ground. Again, this is clearly Lucifer himself talking about the fall of heaven, which it'll go back to and tell us about in a few minutes here. And the dragon, it says in verse 4, stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. Has the child been born yet? No. But is it almost ready to happen? Yes. Who was ready to give birth to do what? To devour her child as soon as it was born. Notice he wasn't just waiting until he begins his public ministry at age 30 and then he's going to get him. Apparently Satan wanted Jesus dead the minute he was born, yes? Do we have any biblical evidence to back this up? Absolutely. Take a look at Matthew chapter 2. Again, home base is going to be Revelation 12, but look at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16. You recall that there were some wise men or magi from the east who were looking for Jesus, and they came to the king of the Jews, Herod at that time, who was, of course, just appointed by the Romans, you know. And they said, where's the king? And he's like, I don't know about any rival king. Why don't you find out and tell me? So I can, you know, wink, wink, worship him too. But the wise men wanted to worship Jesus. What does Herod want to do with Jesus? Kill him, right? Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, you know, the wise men were told, hey, don't go and tell Herod where Jesus is. So they snuck out of town the other way, and when Herod realized, I've been had, he issues a decree. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So he sends out a death decree on all male children because there one of them might be, be the king of the Jews. By the way, why didn't Jesus die in that slaughter? Because an angel came and told Joseph, get out of town. Go down to Egypt, right? But from the moment Jesus was born, Satan was after him, trying to kill him. But who was Satan's front man for that death penalty? Herod, right? Is the power of the state at that point who can make decrees like, hey, kill all the babies. Back to Revelation chapter 12. We're seeing this just straight chronological order here. But it says in verse 5, and in one verse we have the entire birth, life, Ministry, Death, Resurrection, and Ascension of Jesus in one verse. Here it is. She bore a male child, capital C, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Did Satan win and kill Jesus? No. He struck a deadly blow, but of course that wound was healed, right? Satan missed his prey because Jesus was faithful even unto death and raised back up to life. He ascends into heaven and Satan was lost his prey. So what does Satan do when he doesn't get Jesus? Did he say, oh man, I missed Jesus. I guess I'm done. No. Watch what happens now. Verse 6, then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her for, there for 1,260 days. I want you to note the chronological development of Revelation chapter 12. It begins in the Old Testament church with the very children of Israel themselves, it moves toward the time when Jesus was anticipated to be coming, the coming Messiah. We see the birth of Jesus, Satan's attempt to kill him at that very moment, but he escapes, has a successful ministry, ascends back into heaven, and Satan basically goes whoosh, and miss the baby, right? But the focus of Revelation chapter 12 is not on Jesus. It's on the church that brought forth Jesus and the church after Jesus. Because right? now we move into the New Testament. After Jesus is risen up, then there's a time of difficulty, surprise, surprise, for 1,260 years. And the woman, the church, has to flee to the earth. Not from the earth, remember, but to the earth. We're going to see this. Now, that takes a pause in the middle of Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 7 down through verse 12. Verses 7 through 12 kind of give us the background story of why Satan, this dragon, was so mad to start with. And that's where we found right at the beginning of our series this story embedded in the book of Revelation. Right there at the heart, the whole fall of Lucifer, where he comes from, why he's so mad. And it tells us about the war in heaven and how he was cast out and he's angry. But following along with our sequence in Revelation 12, let's now go to verse 13. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, which, of course, that was when Jesus died on the cross. If you don't recall that, you'll go back to one of our messages early in the first week of our series. But he had been cast to the earth. He did what? He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So his original target was Jesus. But when he couldn't win Jesus, he's going to go after Jesus' followers, right? Those who were faithful to him. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, the eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. We've already studied is 1,260 years, this time of papal supremacy. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But what helped the woman? The earth helped the woman. There's a way of escape provided. And if you'll notice through church history, that's exactly what happened during the time of the papal supremacy and the, the papal persecution in Western Europe, among those tin horns where that little horn came up, that some people fled and went to a relatively uninhabited land the New World, if you will. And they escaped the persecution over there by fleeing to the wilderness over here. It's exactly chronologically what happened in earth's history. He goes on. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And now we get to verse 17, the very close of chapter 12. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. By the way, does it imply that this woman had other children too? Yes. But apparently there is one child, one faithful daughter of this woman, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now I'll put a little plug in You don't want to miss tomorrow night. We've been advertising it for a while, but we're going to look at the testimony of Jesus. What is that? But apparently, God's faithful people at this end time, because this is the end of the story right there, are those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Apparently, others have fallen away. The the water, there was a time of persecution and just whittled this down, but there is a faithful remnant line who keep the commandments of God now, the Testament of Jesus. And apparently, this does not make Satan happy. According to the text, he is enraged with the woman because there's this group he cannot get under his spell. He cannot harm them. He cannot deceive them. can't persecute them. They just stand for God's truth no matter what. Now, we're going to do a quick survey. We've already studied Revelation chapter 13, but it helps to review it now. In Revelation chapter 13, if you recall, there are two beasts. One, the beast that comes up out of the sea, which is this same little horn power for 1,260 years of persecuting. And then there's a beast that comes up out of the earth. And that was the message entitled the Antichrist's accomplice, if you recall. Okay, So apparently over here, the Antichrist, this unholy woman, this harlot woman who's riding on on the waters over here, is sending out emissaries against this remnant line over here, And they had fled to the earth to help them get away from the persecution, when lo and behold, out of the earth emerges another beast who makes its sole purpose to help out the beast from the sea. And thus we have the same earth that helped the woman now develops a beast that will help in the persecution. And we read about it again in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 13. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like what? A dragon. Starts off lamb-like. Got some good ideas there. A couple of good kingdoms. You know, separation of church and state, a country without a king, a church without a pope, a land of freedom, but out comes this beast that eventually begins to speak just like the dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Notice there's a forcing of worship, just like we saw in Daniel chapter 3. Make an image to that first beast and cause the whole world to worship. Because the dragon is enraged with the woman who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who has not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, his number is six six six. And as we've talked about before, the mark of the beast is simply a mark of allegiance to the beast, of fulfilment of its character in the lives of people who will do whatever it says instead of whatever God says. And, of course, the mark of the beast is simply the counterfeit to the seal of God, those who keep the commandments of God, particularly the ones that have been tried to be changed by the sea beast. So you have this mark of the beast versus the seal of God playing out here. And it looks like the woman just runs around trying to escape persecution all the time. You would get the image that, of course, the woman's job is to bring forth this child, and then once the child's gone, it's just running, right? Right? It runs over here to get away from persecution. It goes to the wilderness. hides out for 1,260 years. Then a beast comes up from over here, and there's persecution on this time. You just got to hunker down, and apparently God's people are in a very defensive posture. You're just running and hiding. But then comes Revelation chapter 14. Very tempted to title it, The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> okay, God's people... <laughs> are not just to sit around, hunker down, and hope it all passes till Jesus comes. God has a people on the earth, and those who keep the commandments of God, they have a counter-message of true worship, where Satan is trying to get the whole world to worship him. God's people will rise up and speak. Notice what the description is in Revelation chapter 14 in verse 1. I believe we're on the backside of our study guide now. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, have we seen that number 144,000 before? We have. Leave your finger there in Revelation 14, and go back to Revelation chapter 7. Just a few pages to the left. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 describing the same group of people. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now think about that. We just saw in context, Revelation 13, the beast from the earth rises up to give everyone the mark of the beast. But now in Revelation chapter 14, we see the 144,000 described as those who have the seal of God. So during the time when the world is being told, take the mark of the beast and worship him, God has a people who are sealed with the seal of God and they run counter to what the beast is trying to do on the earth. Back to Revelation chapter 14. Again, verse 1. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. I hope you see the fascinating part of that, that. The mark of the beast is either the mark of the beast or the number of his name on their foreheads. But God's people have the seal of God, which is his name, on their foreheads, right? And the name simply represents the character of God, who he is. These people reflect Satan. These people reflect God. Verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and before the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Clearly these 144,000, whatever that number represents, and we don't have time to get into that tonight, but this group of people who are faithful to God have received the seal of God, have the name of God on their foreheads, now they're being shown as being victorious in the end, and they're standing in heaven singing a new song that no one else can learn. Now think about it logically. Why can no one else learn this song? Because they're the only ones who have gone through the experience that's about to be outlined here. Okay? And the good news, it starts with showing them being victorious. But in the end, they sing a song that no one else can sing. And it says that they were redeemed from the earth. These are God's faithful people on the earth who have the character of God in their foreheads, have the seal of God, are faithful to his commandments. They've stood through the most difficult time that earth has ever seen. Verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women. Now please again remember that this is figurative language. Notice as they are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. What we're talking about in the context is they have not defiled themselves with those other women, those harlots, the unfaithful. But they have kept themselves pure. They have been faithful. And I love how simple this is. How do you you stay faithful? Look at this. These are the ones who follow the Lamb, what? Wherever he goes. Boy, if if you could boil the gospel down to one thought, just follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Just follow the lamb wherever he goes. If you want to be like Jesus, just follow after him. Now, Satan will try to stop you. Oh, you can't do that. You can't go there. Oh, I want to persecute you. They just, don't worry what Satan says. They just keep following the lamb wherever he leads them. They have not defiled themselves with the other adulterous harlotry woman. No, no, no. We're going to stay faithful because we're following the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the lamb. And notice what it says now as it closes this description of this group of people living at the end of time. And in their mouth was found no what? My version says deceit. Some say guile. You know? Some say lies, right? But they tell the truth. They don't have deception, but they have truth. They don't have falsehood. They don't have error. They have the truth. They don't have any deceit. They have the truth. Everything else has been and he deceived them with the signs and wonders. And a false prophet deceived and deceived. Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you. But at the end of time, apparently there's going to be a group of people who just tell the truth. They follow the Lamb wherever they go, and they open their mouths and tell the truth. Watch this now. And in their mouths they have found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So this is a description of what we had seen earlier in Revelation 12:17: those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, Now they're shown being victorious, and there's no deceit in their mouths. They have a message of truth, and the rest of Revelation chapter 14 unfolds what that message is, God's final warning to planet Earth that his faithful people are going to be giving to the world just before Jesus comes. We call these the three angels' messages. It's a three-tiered message directly from God of a warning to the world just before his coming. We'll pick up the first one in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heaven, earth, and the sea, and springs of water. That's the first angel's message. Let's break down what that's really saying. First of all, notice that they have a gospel to preach, but is it a new gospel? No. Is it a different gospel than it's ever been? No. It's called the everlasting gospel, right? And even inside the book of Revelation, Jesus is not only referred to as the lamb, he's referred to as the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. The same Jesus who was that lamb prefigured in Eden. And who died on the cross is the Jesus who's coming again. It's the same gospel message from the beginning to the end. And this group of people, the first thing out of their mouths is declare the everlasting gospel to the whole world. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Jesus, by the way, prophesied that this would happen. Leave your finger in Revelation 14 and flip over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter twenty four, Jesus himself is speaking of the end time events just prior to his own coming, and look what he says after his warnings about deception and the talk about earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars. He then go down to look at verse look at verse thirteen and fourteen. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Did Jesus anticipate that there would be some who would be faithful even at the end? Yes. And what would they be doing? Look at verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be what? Preached where? In all the world as a witness to all the nations. And look at that next line. And then the end will come. And here in Revelation chapter 14, we see these faithful people of God who keep the commandments, who have the testimony of Jesus. They have not defiled themselves with the adulterous harlotry woman, but in their mouths has found no deceit. And they open their mouth and they give this message that says, Fear God, now in verse 7, Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his what judgment has come. Now, this is something interesting. The rest of the Bible, as we've pointed out over and over, anticipates a future judgment, right? That even after the cross, oh, there's a judgment still coming. I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. He's looking forward to his judgment. But these people don't say, fear God and give glory to him because the judgment will start. What are they saying? For the hour of his judgment, what? Has come. Has come. They are proclaiming a message that says God is finishing his work in heaven. The judgment or that cleansing of the sanctuary has occurred. It is now in session. The hour of his judgment has come. So notice they're preaching the everlasting. Is it the same gospel? Yes. But in the context of the final judgment that's going on in heaven. Does that make sense? The same eternal gospel, but there's a special emphasis now because Jesus is in the most holy place, cleansing the sanctuary. The hour of his judgment has commenced. Apparently, God's faithful people will be aware that there's a judgment going on in heaven right now, and they will be proclaiming it to the world. Think about that. They will understand this heavenly sanctuary. They will understand the judgment has begun and they'll be proclaiming it to the world. If you want to be a card of God's faithful people, you need to look for these earmarks that the Bible outlines. They give the eternal gospel to the world, the everlasting gospel, for the hour of his judgment has come. And notice what else they say. And do what? Worship whom? Him. Him who? They're not saying, and worship the beast, right? No, no, no. They're not saying worship the Antichrist. They're saying worship Jesus Christ. Worship him who what? Made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. And again, the book of Revelation never fully quotes one entire passage of Scripture from the Old Testament. The closest it comes is right here in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7. And where does that phrase, heavens, the earth, the sea, where does that come from? Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, the fourth commandment. They're going to be proclaiming the hour of his judgment has come. So what do we do? We keep his commandments and worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. They'll be preaching a Sabbath message according to God's law. You're looking for the gospel to be preached to the world in the context of the judgment beginning in heaven and the Sabbath being the sign of faithfulness to God and keeping his commandments. So we go to the second angel's message. Revelation chapter 14, still now in verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is what? Fallen. Now that's interesting, because in the context of 12 and 13, Babylon looks like it's on the rise, right? It's this woman sitting on many waters, it's going to get the whole world to worship, but there's a little group of people saying, Babylon's a house of cards, it's fallen, it's empty. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This is a clear reference to that unfaithful church, that Roman Catholic papacy, the harlot and the daughter harlots that follow in her train, saying, look, Babylon has fallen. So what do you do, by the way? When Babylon, if the city comes crashing down, what do you do? (laughs) Leave, get out, right? By the way, that's exactly what God says. Leave your finger in Revelation chapter 14. Go over to Revelation chapter 18 we have an amplification, a repeating and enlarging of this second angel's message in Revelation chapter 18. Look at verse 1 of Revelation chapter 18 now. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is what? Is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons. A prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. This is not a pretty picture. But now look what it says. For all the nations have what? Drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through her abundance of her luxury. But I love verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, whom? My people. Lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Friends, I want to be crystal clear. We've developed from the Bible that the little horn of Bible prophecy, the Antichrist power, this unfaithful woman of Revelation chapter 17, is the Roman Catholic papacy, and the daughters of those who imbibe in her wine. Having said that, does God have his people in Babylon? Yes. What is he telling them to do? Come out. Why? Because Babylon is fallen. Apparently the light of God's truth is piercing the darkness of that drunkenness. Sobriety is coming when you see the clear word of God. And when you see this is truth and that is error, he says, get out. Is that clear, friends? Babylon is fallen and God says, come out of her. He doesn't say, well, you're getting what you deserve. No. God has his people in all faiths, all denominations. No problem with that. The question is, once you see God's truth, are you willing to come out? Or are you content to stay in? I hope I'm being clear, friends. Babylon has fallen, according to Scripture, and God's direct, his own voice. Says, Come out of her, my people. That's the second angel's message. Revelation chapter 14, again, starting with verse 9. The last message, this three tiered message, the third angel's message. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. You can look the Bible high and low and this is the strongest language that God uses to warn people about a coming destruction. It's like you could summarize the third angel's message very simply. Don't take the mark. Be aware that Babylon has fallen And get on out. Don't take the mark. Don't take the mark. In fact, he goes on to say, well, we can see clearly that at this point on the earth, everyone will demonstrate their allegiance either to Christ or to Satan. Apparently, things are going to get bad enough. And the lines are going to be so clearly drawn that you will either be on God's side or you will remain in Babylon. You will either have the mark of the beast or the seal of God. In fact, the book of Revelation is replete with this imagery of two, two camps being drawn up. Look at Revelation chapter 21. I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 11. Chapter 22, verse 11. Just before Jesus coming, what do we find? He who is unjust, let him be what? Unjust still. He was filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, he says, what's the very next thing? I am coming, how? Quickly. Soon. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. The very last message of warning to the earth before Jesus returns is it called to worship the creator God and realize that the hour of his judgment has come? With the light of God's truth, to see that Babylon is a deck of cards and it's fallen and it's time to come out. And whatever you do, don't take the mark of the beast. There's two options. There's the seal of God and there's the mark of the beast. And God himself pleads, don't take the mark. Don't take the mark. Revelation chapter 14, again, after these three angels' messages are given to the world, look what we see in verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp what? Friends, what is a sickle used for? Harvesting, right? And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest on the earth is in what condition? It's ripe. Everyone has made their decision. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Who is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. So he sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle, and another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. By the way, do you understand that? You don't put a date on the calendar for harvest. Because the fruit may not be ripe, (laughs) the grain may not be ready, but when everyone has made their decision, when the gospel has gone to the world, when the truth is clearly seen that Babylon has fallen, come out of her, my people, and people have chosen their side, this call goes forth, okay, now it's time to harvest, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 13 for just a moment. And we see there the harvest picture in the book of Revelation is shockingly similar to what Jesus had talked about in the parable of the wheat and the tares. You remember our series began with this parable? Night number three, we began looking at this parable and we studied it very thoroughly. We'll just read it briefly again, starting with verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. I cannot emphasize this enough. The reason the harvest isn't any earlier is because God wants to save as much wheat as possible. Does that make sense? It's because of his concern for the wheat that he allows the tares to go on. But there is a day when the harvest will be ready. He says in verse 30, Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Friends, you've been hearing the truth of God from the Word of God for weeks now. Some of it is right in line with it. You'd always believed it. it was a confirmation. Other of it was brand new. You said, hang on, i got to study this out. But as you become more and more familiar with it, you could go back and back and back to God's word, you see clearly that God is coming soon, that Jesus is coming soon. And he wants a people on the earth who will keep his commandments, who will be faithful to him no matter what, and they will develop that character of Christ that will make them ripe and ready for the harvest. As we look for the last faithful daughter, because you might be saying, well, where do I get to find? What are you looking for when you look for a church to be a part of? Because you can think, how do I know? I mean, I, I don't want to be part of the beast. I don't want to be part of the harlot daughters. I, I, what do I do? Well, you find that which matches up to the biblical criteria. Very simply. Write the bottom of your worksheet there. God's remnant people, His true church on the earth in the last days, will preach the everlasting gospel in the context of the judgment which began in 1844. You're looking for people who understand this heavenly sanctuary, who preach the true, truth of the judgment that's ongoing now in the context and in the broader context of the everlasting gospel. The same gospel message. But they understand that Jesus is coming soon and his work of judgment has begun. You go find a church that teaches that. And that's one step. By the way, that, just, that one right there whittled all your options down. <laughs> Pretty big. But let's go some more. You're also looking for a church who keeps God's commandments. Including the seventh day Sabbath as a demonstration of loyalty. Repeat it over and over again who keep the commandments of God, will there be a people who simply take God at his words and when he writes something on stone, they obey? It's that simple. You're looking for a church that's going to call people out of Babylon and that's intoxicating errors with the truth about what happens when you die. The truth about hell, which we studied just the other night. It portrays the truth about the character of God. He doesn't want to punish people forever and ever and keep them alive just to hurt them. He wants to destroy sin so the universe can be pure once again. You're looking for a a church that has no deceit in its mouth. It speaks the truth of God about death, about hell, about the heavenly sanctuary, and on and on and on, the seventh-day Sabbath. You're looking for whoever teaches God's Word faithfully. Join that church. And friends, it's not out of arrogance, it's just out of the fact that it's just a matter of truth. It's a matter of fact. Those particular criteria are found in no other body of believers than the Seventh-day Adventist church. You can look high and low. Go back home to the other churches. Go look them up. Call them in the phone book. See, hey, do you keep the commandments of God? Sure. Do you keep the Seventh-day Sabbath? Well, I mean, that one, no. What about the judgment? Is that... Oh, no, Jesus is at the cross. Well, what about Bible prophecy? No, 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 we don't teach that either. Well, what happens when you die? Well, the thing is, you have a soul, and the soul kind of floats up. Well, how's he going to destroy the wicked? Oh, you don't want to be a part of that. It's forever and ever, and it's eternal. It never, ever ends, and Satan runs. Friends, let me tell you again. Babylon is Fallen. And God is calling to you, come out of her, my people. I don't know about you, but you probably know the words that song is playing right there. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. Tonight I'm gonna ask you a question. We're gonna sing a song tonight. I believe it's number 327 in the hymnal. If you wanna take that out, but I'm gonna ask you a question before we stand and sing. First of all, it's the question I ask every night. Has tonight's message been clear? You don't have to have liked it, (laughs) but did you at least understand it? Praise God. Now my second question is, would you like to be those people who are faithful to God and come out of Babylon and say, Lord, I want to be wherever you are. I want to be one of those people who follows the Lamb wherever he goes. I want to take God's word and whatever your word says, Lord, I want to follow it i might not even understand it yet, but I'm willing to learn, Lord, I want to be on your side, and I want to take my stand for the right. If you would like to be a part of God's faithful people, you want to say, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. I know that your word is true and light unto my path, and I'm ready to walk that path. You just lead me. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. If that's the prayer of your heart, will you stand with us tonight as we sing that song, hymn number 327. I'd rather have Jesus.
1: I'd rather have Jesus than
0: silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his
1: nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. Than anything this world affords
0: today. As As we continue to sing, if you have something in your life that you know is holding you back from making that full commitment to Christ, and you would like special prayer saying, Lord, I don't I don't know how to get over this thing. I don't even understand this thing. It may be a confusion. It may be a setback. It may be a temptation. It may be some sort of sin, but you want to say, Lord, I want to follow you and so far I keep stumbling and falling. But I want to make that commitment. If you want to come down, you want to have special prayer tonight. This isn't, you know, you're not getting baptized tonight. You're not signing any papers, but if you say, Lord, I want to follow you, but there's something in the way and I need help. While we're singing this song, why don't you just come down front We'll have special prayer with you before we leave tonight. Let's sing stanza number two. I'd
1: rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause.
0: I'd rather have
1: Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king.
0: Than lilies. He's
1: fairer than. than to be the king of a vast domain, or be held in sin's dread swing.
0: a word of prayer heavenly father we thank you so much for being a god who created us for being a god who redeems us and lord even when satan tries to tempt us or discourage us or distract us or to confuse us lord you communicate with us you tell us your word and you send your holy spirit to wrap your arms around us and encourage us in the way of righteousness Lord, I want to thank you for those who are standing tonight who say, Lord, I want to follow Jesus wherever that leads. I don't even necessarily know where that is yet. But my commitment, Lord, is to follow you and your word. Praise God for that commitment. And Lord, I especially want to pray for those who have come forward tonight who might be wrestling with some particular burden, some, some setback, some issue, some sin that they might have. I don't know the nature of it, but you do, Lord. As we know, you don't just see to a person, you see through a person. And you know what our very hearts are like, more than we know ourselves. And so, Lord, I would ask, especially for those who've come forward, that you would give them not only pardon for the past, but, Lord, power for the future. Let them see in their own experience that the blood truly does have power. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Lord, let them see victory the victory that you won out on the cross, Lord, let them see it in their own lives tonight. And Lord, for all of us, regardless of where we are on the spiritual spectrum, we might be newcomers, green as a stick, but Lord, others of us might be seasoned scholars, wherever we are. Lord, you know that we've all fallen short of your glory. So Lord, we ask for forgiveness. We ask that you would welcome us back home. And Lord, renew our hearts once again. Help us to be faithful for you until we see you come soon. We pray it in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org dot org